Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Zero G Adventures podcast. As always, I'm Tim. I'm Brian. And I'm Chris. And we welcome you to episode 10. 10. Woo! We made it for 10 episodes. So, those of you that have stuck with us since episode one, thank you. We appreciate you. For those just coming, welcome back. So, this week we were supposed to do uh, start our trip around Walt Disney World Resort. However, some scheduling conflicts and due whatnot. to circumstances beyond our control, <laughs> this ride is temporarily stopped. <laughs> yep. Um, we're pushing it back a week, which is great because all of March is going to be the Disney week or month. Disney month, <laughs> not week, but month. Um, so this week we are bringing you another installment of the Q and A discussions. Back which, by popular demand. Part two. Yes. Some great questions in this one. Um, but as always, want to remind you, check us out on our website, zerogadventures.com, as well as Facebook, facebook.com slash zerogadventures. Um, and also, we launched our merch shop about two weeks ago. So check that out. There is a link on our website, zerogadventures.com. Click on the right-hand link for the merch shop. Get yourself a new T-shirt. Or a hoodie. Hoodies are comfy. Hoodies are great for spring amusement park trips and fall amusement park trips. Yes, they are. Or just lounging around the house. Word. So, as always, we always start the the podcast with the drink of the week. So, what are we drinking this week? The drink of the week this week is the Rum Sunset. It is a rumified spin on the classic Tequila Sunrise. Ooh. And it's easy. It's orange juice, white rum grenadine, and a lime slice for a garnish if you want it to look pretty. But literally, it's just combining those ingredients in a way, if you want it to look fancy, you can give it an ombre look by pouring the grenadine part in at the end slowly so that it makes the colors look all ombre, so to speak. But it's very good. What do you guys think? I think it's a perfect replacement for mimosas. This should be the default breakfast drink all the time. I think it tastes like vacation again. I really like it. Yeah, I we're all we're like on a winning streak. This is like three in a row. Three in a row. It. And like I said, this one's easy because the ingredients are easy to find. Yes. Yeah, they are. And it's a very easy drink to make. You don't need blenders. You don't need to muddle stuff. You don't You don't need to shake or anything. Nope. It's just throw it in a glass and pour it slow and watch it come out. Yep. And Tim, you thought you said the last couple drinks have tasted like vacation last week and this week. Well, the next month it's going to taste like vacation. I can't wait. We got some good tropical drinks in there. and Wait until we get to Epcot and we drink around the world. Yep. That's all I got to say. The home, the, the COVID at home edition of drinking around the world. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're all going to film each other in like different rooms of my house making different drinks anyway so this week um we're just going to go straight into the q a discussion oh we'll tell people where they could find out about how we made the drink of the week why do i always do that i just assume people know no you gotta tell them you they could watch know us by it. now uh but if you want to know how we made it go ahead and check us out on our website zerogadventures.com drink of the week is going to be posted now um, as always on our YouTube channel as well. And look for that link on Facebook. Watch me and Brian make it and uh, let us know what you think. 
And we had a studio audience this time. Yes, we did. Tim's family was there watching us. Yes, the entire family was there. And it was the first time with a studio audience. That was interesting. And my son was waving to me. He was so proud of, of you. The, he he was, was so proud of his was, daddy. He was. Hey, but even with the audience, you still did it in one take. Yes. Word. I that felt bad, true. though. I did a lot. I didn't really give you a lot to do. That's okay. My son was still proud. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just wanted to about. get through it. I was like, just... look, there's people watching. There's people watching. Oh, no. Social anxiety. Millennials. Don't make eye contact. Don't make eye contact. <laughs> oh, you made eye contact. <laughs> so this week we're going to do a Q&A discussion. And we're just going to kind of ask some different questions that kind of help you guys get to know us better. So I'll start us off with, what's your earliest memory from an amusement park? You know, I know Kennywood is my home park, but I honestly don't have many early memories of that park. But my first real memory of that park would have been, I think, a middle school trip with you, Tim. But prior to that, my first big amusement park memory would have been my family's first trip to Walt Disney World. And I was so young, I was still in a stroller at that point. And I just have the memory of getting on the ride. And I was wearing one of those little kid, like, bucket hats. Well, what mm -hmm. ride? Sorry, I got ahead of myself. Um, Snow White Scary Adventures. Ah! Well, not so scary anymore. No. But, so, <laughs> we're on this ride, and halfway through, my hat flies off. The witch took it. Probably. Now, my mother did tell a cast member when we got off the ride that I had lost my hat. And they actually went and looked for it. And when I got it back, there was a grease-stained wheel mark right down <laughs> the center of that hat. Like, you couldn't have... Nowadays, had... that would be worth money. And yeah, I wish I still had it. Right. But sadly, it's lost to the sands of time. But it was like a skunk track right down the center of, like, a white hat. Like, it was... <laughs> And I think my mother made me wear it for the rest of the trip, too. I could see your mother <laughs> doing that. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. but, but that, that like is... You're wearing it. It's a hat. I'm not paying. Exactly. But that's my first memory. Losing my hat on the ride, but actually getting it back. And how often does that happen anymore? No, those were different times. I'm so glad you said skunk track and not snail track. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what about you so my thing is kennywood i mean I, I grew up 10 minutes away from kennywood and when i was a kid i was afraid to ride anything i didn't really ride much until i was like 10 years old but when i was a kid we'd go to the park i'd watch everything i would watch everything how it worked figure out everything and then on the 10 minute car ride home i would tell my parents about all the fun rides that I rode and all that I did. And they'd be like, Brian, you didn't ride anything. You just stood there and watched. So that's my memory. This is a really good drink. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Tim? I would say that mine is also Kennywood. Um, I remember riding the Jackrabbit with my father. And that's when they had those leather the leather belts before they got the real seat belts. belts that had like the 
dog chain end on it and all that stuff and it didn't hold me down you know i was probably about seven eight and he didn't hold me down going over the double dip and just scared the crap out of me would not ride the racer would not ride the thunderbolt would not ride the laser loop and the only thing i would ride is that just because i knew it but it just still scared the crap out of me and scared and it's just weird that i was scared to death of other roller coasters but now here i am on a roller coaster podcast and so, you're always looking for the bigger badder wilder rides now bigger better faster more yes sir so all right so what is your favorite nighttime firework spectacular show at a park and why fantastic slash <laughs> squirt, 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 squirt. Um, uh, one of these, one because... of these days, I want to see the one at Disneyland because we've both we've seen the one at Hollywood Studios, but yeah. the one at Disneyland looks so much better. Fantastic at Hollywood Studios. Um, it's a great show, mainly because I'm a Disney villains guy. That's true. It's all I about mean, the villains. All my stuff here is villains. I'm gonna set Mako on fire. Holy <laughs> shit. <laughs> We're burning a haunted candle from Magic Candle Company, and I almost set one of his models on fire. One of my wooden model coaster cutouts on fire. Anyway, so, but I'm a Disney villains guy, so Fantasmic to me, the villains take over. I mean, it's just awesome. I love it. Well, I mean, that show has everything. It has the special effects, the water, the fireworks, the music, great musical score, too. Yes. What about you, Chris? Again, uh, I'm going to default to Epcot. There's something about Illuminations, Reflections of Earth. I think it still holds up as one of the best shows Disney has ever put on. And I think one of the reasons it holds up so well, at least in my memory, in the hearts of so many people, is that it's not purely intellectual property. It's not Disney characters. It's music, lights, sounds, and images that actually fit the park. It's a total experience, and I was really sad to see it go. True. And Brian, what is your Disney night? <laughs> well, you know, it's not just Disney. Um, <laughs> believe, it, it's hard for me because... They do nighttime so well. I mean, if anyone does fireworks well in nighttime mm-hmm. shows, it's Disney. You're going to name a King's Island, aren't you? He's going to say Italian Day at Kennywood. No. <laughs> so my favorite night, I'm, I have two answers. So my favorite nighttime fireworks show at a park um, is actually Wishes from the Magic Kingdom. Um, Wishes was a great show. It was the first like big fireworks show they had at the Magic Kingdom um, that actually like drew a large crowd where they had to cut down trees so that everyone could fit in an area and watch. Um, they cedar pointed it. Yeah, they cedar, if you will, they cedar pointified it. Um, but it was short enough, you know. But it was long enough. It was it was a great show. Like the show they have now, Happily Ever After. Well, they don't have anything right now, pre COVID. Um, but Happily Ever After literally is like a twenty minute show, and standing for twenty minutes, and you have to get a spot like forty five minutes before 
it's just a, a a little bit of a hassle. So it's not yeah. as much, not as enjoyable. Um, but wishes, I really like. I really yes. like wishes. Now, I, my I would agree. My honorable mention, though, um, for many years we would always go to Cedar Point on the Fourth of July, and there is something about watching fireworks on the beach with the park behind you. And they do like a 20 minute fireworks show and everyone sits on the beach. You know, it's, it was a lot of fun. So I always, that's like my honorable mention. I can get with that. Chris, your question. My question. Well, it's, it's interesting. Cause I talk a lot about things that aren't in parks anymore, but like what's one staple that you would find in parks that just aren't around anymore. Hmm. That's a tough one. Yeah. I think one of the things that used to be at a lot of parks that is not around anymore, I'm going to say the Ferris wheel. There's a lot of parks that don't have Ferris wheels. Yes. None of the Disney parks in Walt Disney World have a Ferris wheel. None of the Universal parks have a Ferris wheel. I know though Disneyland has the one at California Adventure, but like those parks don't have one. Busch Gardens Tampa, Busch Gardens Williamsburg, Kings Island, uh, are, right, um, Holiday World. Like literally, there's a lot of parks, Kennywood, um, that doesn't have a Ferris wheel. Are the lawyers that scared of jumpers? I mean, there a lot of parks that do have them have the single riders now. You can't have a you can't be a single rider in a Ferris wheel in most states. Thank you for riding the giant. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, That's... I'm gonna say Ferris wheels. I'm gonna kind of follow suit with you, and say log flumes. Oh. Uh... Because even though they're still in existence and you still can find parks with log flumes, they are being torn down at a pretty rapid clip. Um, They're going by the wayside, which is a shame. Mm -hmm. I I love a good log flume. I would just assume it's another issue of maintenance. You would think something like that is a bit of a maintenance nightmare. Sure. Any water ride. Any water ride requires more maintenance because yeah. water takes effect on things. Mm-hmm. You have corrosion. And then if you have to fix something underneath, you have to drain it. And then, true. But there's a lot of really great rides out there. Mm-hmm. You would think he, would, he weighs like 175 pounds. <laughs> And he's three foot two. Tim's son's upstairs above us, and you just, it sounds like the T Rex from Jurassic Park. Uh, yeah. And <laughs> I just, oh. But anyway, but I miss log blooms. My answer is actually going to go really old school. And these were things that were staples of a lot of parks when they started. Large venue spaces like dance halls roller rinks, just those larger venues mm-hmm. that used to be in old school parks. Yeah, almost every classic park had a dance hall. Exactly. 
or a roller rink or just a large performance venue. Back in, back in the day, big name bands would travel to parks and perform. And it wasn't just band shells. They literally had actual theaters and large spaces to host these things. And it just came down to, over time, they either burnt down. That was the most common thing. Yeah. Most park fires yeah. usually started in those. Or it was land that could be used for another attraction. But it's not something you see very often. I mean, Cedar Point still has a large venue space. I believe it's above their arcade. Yeah, it's in the Coliseum above the arcade. But it's not open for like general use. Special occasions only. Yeah. But the, those kind of large venues... I don't want to call them like arenas, but performance spaces. I mean, some of the smaller parks still have band shells, but it's not quite the same. But those large roller rink-like spaces. So here is a great question. So outside of Disney and Universal, because they don't include, what is the best theme ride or attraction, in your opinion? Okay, that's uh, an easy one for me. Verbolton at Bush Gardens, Williamsburg. How the hell did I know you were going to say that ride? Verbolton is a great ride. It has a good story. Um, it's a family-friendly thrill ride that has indoor sections, outdoor sections. It plays homage to the Big Bad Wolf. It fits right in with Germany and the Black Forest. It's still one of the, I, it's right up there with the Disney Universal theme ride. Sure, you want me to go? My problem is, I'm thinking of the ride, but I'm blanking on the name. Kings Island. Disaster Transport. Never no. mind. <laughs> oh, Mystic Timbers? Or Flight of Fear? Yeah, I was thinking Flight of Fear, but I couldn't remember if it was Outer Limits Flight of Fear or just It Flight used of to be called Outer Limits Flight of Fear. Okay. Now it's just called Flight of Fear because they didn't pay for the licensing. We can edit in at this point. Flight of Fear at Kings Island is probably my favorite non-Disney, non-Universal themed ride. Only because you literally walk through a UFO. Like a full-sized freaking UFO in the line for this ride. They do such a great setup too, because like it's like a fort from the outside and you don't even know what the ride's like. You don't see anything. And then you see the volcano. Or oh, Jesus Christ. Then, <laughs> then you see the UFO. Brian's stroke aside, he does have a point. You walk up to the ride and it looks mm. sort of like a warehouse. <laughs> you get the kind of like generic mid nineties coaster kind of warehouse vibe that a lot of those stations had. And then you walk in and it's King's Island. You don't necessarily expect that level of theming. So it actually, if you've never ridden it before, it comes as a very pleasant surprise. And it's done very well. And I say that in comparison to things like Disaster Transport. I mean, there's theming and then there's good theming. And Flight of Fear falls into the category of good theming. And even the video pre-show. I mean, you, when Chris, when we've gone, you haven't had the stand-in line long for it because we've hit it early in the day. But... The 12 minute pre show video actually is in sync with the lights that are on the UFO and the whole room and everything. It's a really great, great attraction. Cool. So I'll take your Flight of Fear and I'll take your Verbolton mm -hmm. and I will raise you 
A Cobra's Curse. That ride is themed immaculately. Oh, at Busch Gardens Tampa. Yeah. I, I, have you, were it, you there? I, I, it was being built when I was there last, so I did not get to ride it yet. So you enter through a tomb in Egypt, and as you go deeper into the queue, it gets more and more themed to the where snakes are actually crawling out of the walls. Not real snakes, but, mm-hmm. you know, projections Why did it have and to stuff. be snakes? And there's, I don't know. <laughs> And, you know, there there's video projections on the walls and, and stuff. And then you get to the, the station and the station is themed and then the entire ride. And it's a great, like you said with Verbolton, it's a great family thrill ride. And it's just, I think that that is themed immaculately. I'm excited to check it. it out. I think it's one of the places we're going in the fall. So, yes, I'm excited to check it out. That is a must-do for Bush Gardens Tampa. Yes. All right. So I asked about nighttime fireworks shows. My question is, what is your favorite indoor show at a park and why? I'll go. Okay. So Finding Nemo, the musical Animal Kingdom. I love it. The way that they have the puppets, but then the actors are have the puppets but the actors are dressed and they act the part and they have the personality of the puppet and i love it plus i love fish and i love finding nemo it's just and air conditioning in central florida well that theater is a comfortable theater too i mean that's a very comfortable theater you're not like packed in like sardines the rows are spaced apart nice yeah and then the stage comes out halfway up into the thing and the actors come out and all that. I love that show. And I think it's mainly because I love fish. And and you're not much of a show guy, so that's saying something. Yeah. Uh-huh. Exactly. What about you, Chris? See, here's the thing. It depends how you define a show. Like- Slipknot, live from Boston. <laughs> <laughs> I have I have that on VHS. Haven't watched it in a while. No, my my first. <laughs> Got to find Not... a VCR first. <laughs> I have one. <laughs> Let bring it over next week. Anyway, my first thought was I would go old school and go Carousel of Progress, but technically that could be considered. A ride. Yeah, that's an attraction. But it's yeah, also that, yeah, a show. So no, it's not a show. That's an attraction. My question should have said live show with live actors. But it doesn't, so there's a loophole. Ha, no ha, loophole. Ha. We fixed it. Tough. I'm we already, brought I'm lawyers. Already, I'm already talking. The American Adventure. Otherwise known as one of the one of the shows that Tim sleeps on. Tim's nap half hour. Yes. Better than the Hall of Presidents, though. Both of them I sleep through. <laughs> Both of them. I'm an animatronics junkie. I love the tech behind it, and I love the fact that they keep going back and they keep improving the visuals and the sound and the quality of the animatronics. I watch it every time I go, numerous times a trip. 
you know, Tim sleeps through it or they just do something else. But every time I go to Epcot, that is a must. So for me, I have, I'm between two. And the reason why I'm between two, my first instinct is to say Celtic Fire at Bush Gardens, Williamsburg. <laughs> what? What? Come closer. I'm close enough. I'm always this close. <laughs> I want to speak. I want to go. I want to gag. I want to chew. Okay. So what would be your favorite show? I have to start all over again? Yes. Oh, because you're not close enough. Fine. <laughs> so my favorite show, I, I can't just pick one. Um, I mean, my first instinct would be Celtic Fire at Bush Gardens Williamsburg. Um, I love Irish music, um, but the way that that show, even if you don't like Irish dancing or you don't like Irish music, they present it in such a way where it's immersive, um, where you're at the celebration of a wedding. It has um, some live musicians. It has a great lighting package. And it's just a fun show. It's, it's like river dance at an amusement park, but with a Broadway twist to it. Um, that was my first instinct, but the most impressive show I've ever seen at a park was actually at Dollywood. One of the shows at Dollywood actually feature um, live music with members of Dolly's family mm -hmm. singing on stage with a pre-recorded Dolly Parton video that sings with them, but the music's live. So everything has to be in perfect sync for it to work well, and it does. It was a very enjoyable show. Hmm. I don't remember the name of it. I think the name might change every year, um, and the show changes every year, but it was it was very impressive. I wish we would have got to see it again. Now, here's an interesting question because you get a, a bit of a blue sky thinking. What ride, specifically non-coaster, would you like to put a modern spin on? What technologies, vehicles, etc., would you like to be improved or, as Walt used to say, plussed? So, I've been thinking about this a lot. And what I would say is, last week, Brian talked a lot about Hoos. And the rides that they make and for me i would really like to make an open air enterprise they have it but i mean that if i i'm not a big flat ride guy i'm a roller coaster guy but to me it would be the open air enterprise yep they have it it's great there's actually one in kentucky kingdom Shut your mouth. It's inverted. It's like raptor seating where you sit like that and then it goes around and then goes up. 
like raptor seating like raptors your and cedar dangling, point or like rap- raptor and cedar point like your yeah. legs dangle yeah yeah oh who made it i want to i think it's amperla but i can't remember of course it'd be amperla but there's a couple of them it's there's a new one going in at six flags new england um this year but kentucky kingdom has one i forget there there might be a couple more okay so never mind <laughs> Go ahead, Chris. It was a nice <laughs> thought. You get points for trying. Um, no, I actually think, and this is a theme park staple, I think theme park car rides, Autopias, those sort of things are definitely due for an upgrade. I think electric vehicle technology is more than capable of really improving a lot of these rides. Like the Turnpike at Kennywood? Well, you'd have to it's bring coming it back. back. Yeah. Well, okay then. <laughs> but yeah, um, don't get me wrong. The, the feel of like the motor rumbling and there's some nostalgia to it, but I think a lot of these rides could be improved. You still keep the same general feel of a car ride, but why not try modern technology with it? So what would you do? Well, you could almost do to a degree sort of what they're doing with like the new Mario Kart ride. You could do an augmented reality using the windscreen of the ride. Sure. That's a good idea. And there's almost no limit to what you could do in that situation. But I think just upgrading from gas powered amusement rides, which is weird to think about. Most of those are actually gas powered. Yeah. Yeah. Two electrical vehicles would be a plus all the way around. And it would be an easy switch out. It's not like, you know, you'd have to lay new track. Right. It would that. be great. I mean, like the turnpike rides that do exist that are electric, just go. You, It's almost like a Disney dark ride, but without being in the dark, mm-hmm. it just moves and goes. But the ability to stop and go yeah, would be really cool. You'd still have the, cool. the same freedom yeah. you would have with the old school gas ones. We have the technology. Why not use it? True. Come on now. Tesla sponsorships. Tesla sponsorships. True. So mine would be, you know, there's a great ride called the Whip at a lot of the classic parks in Pennsylvania. Um, And my thought was to replace the Whip cars with teacups. Holy crap. So as you went around the curve, it would cause you to start to spin. And then you would go and then going around the curve. Why am I not surprised that Brian thought of that? And all I can think of is like cardiothoracic trauma. Like, I I can get on board with that. I think that would be really cool. Okay, you two could be the two first test dummies for that. I'll sit back and watch. Huh. You get your inertia from that initial spin, and then when you come back, that's when you spin down down the end of the track, and it then makes you start losing your inertia. And when you come back around, you get your inertia back again. Right. I oh because it makes the boring period like something's gone. I on. could oh I can get behind that. That's my thought. Okay. So. No. All right. So my question. What is a ride, and it could be a coaster or a ride, that you think is completely underrated? Um, I, I think 
again, I tend to go to old school answers because not many of these exist. Walk through attractions um, and fun houses and those sort of things. I think when they are around, people just walk past them because I think a lot of people lack the imagination to actually enjoy them half the time. They're, they're walk-bys. People don't think about them, but you know, they're, they're attractions where you kind of have to go into it and make a bit of your own fun. You have to experience it yourself, just like um, mm -hmm. Noah's Ark. It kind of would. Unless you go in trying to enjoy it, you could walk through it and you could yawn or you could enjoy the fun that it is. But I think a lot of people just walk right past them. Yeah. For the second time tonight, I'm going to say Cobra's Curse. I think it's underrated. Not a lot of people talk about it. I think it's an amazing ride. I, I not that it's amazing, like mind blowing and mind altering and life altering, but I think it's a really cool family ride, especially for a wild mouse type yeah. ride. I love it. I would ride it over and over and over and over again. Brian, what about you? For me, I'm going to say Invader at Busch Gardens Williamsburg. It is underrated because people always talk about Griffin and they talk about Alpengeist and Apollo's Chariot. Um, but Invader is the family coaster. It's uh, the only wooden coaster at Busch Gardens. But it's a great ride. It's it's very thrilling. There's lots of airtime and surprises, but most people just say, oh, it's Invader. Well, I, I think there's an interesting through line with all of our answers. And I think it's the nature of the general park goer. They always want to go towards the biggest, the newest, the fastest, the tallest. And after a while, they just start walking past some of the established rides that are just as good because they're not as shiny or new as other things in the world. <laughs> Gemini. <coughs> what? I'm sorry. What? The silence means we agree with you. <laughs> Conversely, what attraction do you think is completely overrated? Simple answer. Any and all dive coasters. Yeah, you're not a fan of the dive coaster. No, I'm not. Mm -mm. See, to me, I like, I think Valraven is overrated, but I really love Griffin at Bush Gardens. And you can, but I think they sacrifice overall layout for the dive. Mm -hmm. That That's it. I mean, if it, it, if I wanted to dive, I would ride Falcon's Fury at Busch Gardens Tampa because, you know, the it's the drop tower that yeah. tells you forward and drops you. I, it, it, there, there's not much to a dive coaster layout. I've, you I've ridden, ridden two. Yeah, you haven't ridden Griffin yet. I've virtually ridden Griffin. She to me. Sheikra's different. Sheikra is different. I've ridden Sheikra. I've ridden Valveraven. Okay. There's something about Griffin. Got to try Griffin. So for me, and my answer is going to cause controversy. 
Oh, here we go. He gonna say stool benches. Here we go. I think the most overrated roller coaster is the Beast at Kings Island. I would agree with that. The Beast is legendary. It is something that everyone should ride, especially at night. Boring. You haven't even been on it. It don't matter. I... You rode it at Century Three Mall in that simulator. <laughs> But no, the checkmate. Thing, checkmate. But the, the thing about the beast, it is a legendary ride at night. But and it is a four and a half minute ride. About two of those four minutes, four and a half minutes, are going up lift hills. It has a great second half. You have that double helix that's in the tunnel. But the first drop would be great if they didn't trim you most of the way down the drop. It's it's a great ride. I think everyone should experience it, but it is overrated in my opinion. I would agree. I, what about you, Chris? I, I agree with you. And here I come to cause controversy. I'm going to say Steel Vengeance, and I have no qualms about saying that. It's a great ride layout. It's great physics. The restraint system is awful. And because of that, it completely destroys the ride for me and a lot of other people. It is a great track. It is a crappy ride. It's not a bad ride, but, you know, I don't think it's the end-all, be-all of coaster design. No. No, not at all. We've got much more to come. Well, and, and honestly, how long has it been out now? Is it three years? Three years, twenty eighteen. And people are still raving about it, and it almost feels like. But really, but it, nothing but it, has really come out after that. Yeah, and it, it's, it's still the new. And, and yes, I mean it's block. honestly still a new new coaster because nothing really. I do agree. I do agree with that, but I do think it's self fulfilling at this point. That so many people talk it up, that other people start talking it up because that's what people do. I think its reputation is actually a little divorced from what the ride is at this point. It has its own halo, and people are buying into that. No, you throw into the. You throw into D. Am I wrong? <laughs> You're not. You're not. I think I think it's you're gonna see more play once Gwazi opens. Once Iron Gwazi Yeah. Iron Gwazi opens. Once Velocicoaster opens. Once Emperor opens. I th I think you're Yeah, there really see... hasn't been like a new No. Well Hagrid. Jersey Devil. Once that opens, yeah, I think you're going to see more play and more of rankings where oh, yeah. and, vengeance and, isn't number one for everybody. And, and like I said, and like I said, I don't think it is inherently a bad ride. I have my own biases against it. A, a certain, to a certain degree, I'm just sick of hearing about it. The next question is Tim. Number nine. So moving on from that, 
what coaster type would you put a 2021 spin on? And why? We, we talked about it. In fact, this type of coaster was in our coaster of the week terminology. I think the bobsled coaster really needs to make a comeback. I don't know exactly what kind of modern tech you'd do with it, but just as a whole, I think that style of coaster needs to make a comeback. And of course, when it does, it will have a modern spin on it. Put it in the dark and give it a space theme. Welcome to Alaska. <laughs> you said space theme, not a poorly done space theme. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Ryan? I think going with that, there needs to be more indoor roller coasters. Really? Like what type? You know what would be great? Like an actual B&M indoor roller coaster. How would you even make that? Yeah, I just Here's imagine the, these massive like, warehouses. And, that, and that's what I'm thinking. Like, well... You, Guardians of the Galaxy you, would house. You pull <laughs> one. You pull an Alton Towers. Bury them and underground. You bury half of the building underground, and then the building. You don't have to do like a hundred and sixty foot tall ride. I'm thinking something like a hundred. I mean, if you think of the Batman the rides, they're less oh, than a hundred oh, yeah. feet tall. Yeah. You put one of them. Imagine a themed indoor Batman the ride. I'm just thinking about the gallons upon gallons of go away green you would need to have to you would need to have to make these show buildings disappear to enclose a coaster like that. Yeah. I I, I mean I say I don't that, know what to say about I that. say you know <laughs> but, realizing I said that needs to make a comeback Guardians of the Galaxy is going to be an indoor roller coaster but although you you might be onto something they keep trying repeatedly to build theme parks and amusement parks in the Middle East and if any area should really have enclosed massive coasters it's probably them you you don't want to be going 70 80 90 miles per hour with sand it's just a bad experience it's bad enough when it rains at cedar point could you imagine a light breeze with a little bit of grit that's good for your pores <laughs> and it's good exfoliator it's like wearing a charcoal mask now i'm just thinking about what i said though i think in an indoor b&m inverted coaster okay. well, well we know what brian's gonna build in parkitect when he gets home the abyss. I think I would take the aero suspended coaster and put a spin on it. Maybe Vacoma does it. Or Vacoma did them. 2021 spin. <laughs> With a 2021 Vacomas. Not them damn SLC bullshit. Oh, no, those were different. When Vacomas started doing them, they got rid of the body and your legs dangled. And when was that? Not 2021. Exactly. <laughs> it's like The Simpsons. They already did that, apparently. So, 
maybe not Vacoma, maybe Intamin, maybe Bologram Happier. I don't, I don't know. Ooh, but cool. you know something you know a Bolligar Maviard hasn't suspended. done a suspended they've done inverts right. and they do it very well but because it's my favorite can you imagine if they did a suspended <laughs> but a suspended with a swing in you know bring in the technology mm-hmm. you know what why don't we do a Batman suspended type ride but we modify it obviously you have to you can't go upside down you could nope you could can't but what if you had modern technology which is part of this question word (laughs) and he's speechless (laughs) he has nothing to say all right hypothetical you just inherited a piece of land to build a park. You have $75 million to spend on three rides or coasters. What three rides or coasters are you putting in your park? I met in the middle. $75 million. $75 million. Christopher. I honestly have no idea off the top of my head. If I were to be a smartass and be completely generic, a roller coaster, a Ferris wheel, and a dark ride. Done. And then I'd tell my park my I tell my park design team, I want these three things. Here's your budget split between the three. Have at it. <laughs> I would put in, sir, I'd put in a Raptor, a custom Raptor coaster, which is... You mean the RMC Raptor? The RMC single rail, because those are inexpensive, comparatively. Um, How much is it? How much did did they ever announce how much Jersey Devil's going to cost? It's less than 25. Um, I, 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 for some reason, I want to say Railblazer costs like 12. I'm just curious. But, um, so a custom Raptor single rail, 12 seater. Um, I would do a B&M invert, but I would do a smaller invert. I wouldn't do a huge invert. And then I would probably call in GCI to do a family coaster. And I think that would eat up my 75. So sorry, no cotton candy, no hot dogs, no pierogies, no nothing. You know what? You come in, you ride my rides, and then you leave. But what if somebody was really looking forward to that bouncy cancel pin? I'm sorry. You come in, you ride my roller coasters, and you leave. And you go to the Thirsty Pony franchise that was built down the street from my park. Period. But what if they wanted a Larson Looper, a Scrambler, and a Hang and Bang? 
Sounds like a good time. Not for me, though. A little bit of a long pause on that response. (laughs) (laughs) Now, if it was me... So, so for me, um, I agree with Tim. There would be a B&M inverted coaster in there. Um, a heavily themed one, kind of like Nemesis. Oh, nice. Or like Dragon's Challenge, that kind of stolen dragons. I'll kind see, of. I wasn't that detailed. So you're going to spend your money on your, on your theming? For that, that would be like the big. Okay. Then I would do an indoor Intamin. What are the little ones that they call the like a hundred feet tall? There's a name for the mega coaster. Mega coaster. A mega light. Mega light. I would do an indoor Intamin mega light. Oh. Oh. And then you're getting up there though in price. Or you would save money by on, only using glow sticks. But I mean, mm-hmm. you're you're thinking of, you're building your shelter, and you got Intamin, and then you got your theming for your B and M. I'm about sixty. I have fifteen million to go. And for the last fifteen, I would do a Gravity Group wood roller coaster, and that would cost less. Than 50. Yeah. So those are my three. Hmm. Intamin Indoor Mega Light. B&M Invert. And the Gravity Group. Hmm. And... Do we come back to you? It is Chris's question. Number 11. Hmm. What amusement souvenirs do you like to collect to remember your trips to the parks? So I collect park maps. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I collect and save, park maps. That's it. So I like to collect... Everything. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Every last penny machine he could find in Epcot. Yes. So I change. It, it, it all depends. So I I always change. What's your um, favorite? My favorite right now is Nano Coasters, and they're the, expensive. They are. They're, yeah. But they, they look can nice. Be. They do. Everybody at my work comments. I have an entire shelf of all my nano coasters. Everybody comments on it. Um, but I like nano coasters. I like the coaster cutouts. I like the park maps. I like. What about you, Chris? To piggyback off of Tim's answer, when I first started going to Disney parks, because we actually did two trips back to back. We were both big into the pins. So my collection isn't nearly as big as his, but lately it seems... You 
got that right. <laughs> I'm surrounded by children. I'm surrounded by idiots. It's a lateral move. If you would have said that, I would have kept it in. Anyway, the most common thing, and I just realized it's sort of something I've collected hats from parks to, to, to almost tie it back to losing mm. my hat on the scary adventures i have a lot of um baseball caps from amusement parks one because i like them two because in previous episodes i talked about how i end up being in the rain and if you wear glasses they're a ball cap is great to have in the rain in a park but it seems that my biggest park collection these days is actual hats and if you know where to get a good deal, they have sales on that crap in the parks if you pay attention. The key, don't buy in the front. <laughs> the clearance sections are in the back. Yeah. Sure. Sure. All right, Tim, last question. And this is a good one. So... The past year, if you've been living on planet Earth, you know that we're in a global pandemic. Um, so how do you think that COVID is going to permanently change the parks going forward? That is a very interesting question, and mm -hmm. it really depends how you define the park-going experience. Sadly. The minute people are told, you know, everything's sort of okay, they're not going to really care anymore, and human nature's going to back go. We'll go back to what it was. Even hu human nature right now hasn't even adapted much. People still don't um, respect personal space, even in a pandemic. So the people going side of the park experience won't change. The way they run parks will. Parks have learned new levels of analytics and keeping track of things and just the day-to-day -day runnings and the spreadsheets and the calculations and the headcounts, that will completely fundamentally change the industry from an economic and management side. And we'll feel that with how they manage rides, what opens when, crowd control. But the day-to-day -day going into a park, experiencing the park with the general public, I don't know if it's going to change that much because, honestly, the general public hasn't changed like they probably should have. I agree with Chris. I don't think that much is going to change with rides and attractions that currently exist. I still believe in two years from now we will be filling in all the available space at Disney cramming people in like usual. What I think is going to change is the design of future rides and attractions. I feel that future rides and attractions aren't going to have the back and forth queue lines condemned, you know, crowded in one area. They're going to be more trail-like queue lines. Um, I think of a lot of the queue lines um, at King's Island, like Adventure Express, that there's no back and forth. You literally go on a trail in the woods. Like that kind of thing. Um, that's my take on it. I think that we're not going to design things packed in like sardines anymore. Oh, I agree with you. I think there's going to be more advanced planning for contingencies 
for the next one. And there probably will be a next one. Can I say when? No, but it's better to be prepared. And I do think they're going to have designs with spacing in mind if they have to, as opposed to retrofitting the existing setups. And see, I challenge both of you because I think that it's not about queue lines and it's not about. I think it's going to be more experience-based. I think we're going to see more of the virtual queuing. Oh, yeah. Uh, I hate virtual queuing. I think that's going to be... But but I think it's going to be evolved. So what you know about virtual queuing now, what you've seen with virtual queuing, I think is going to change a lot. Um, See, to me, part of the experience are some of the lines. So, like, to me, I think what I would like to see if virtual queuing becomes more of a thing is you're given a time to come back. When you come back, you still might have a 45, 30 to 45 minute wait, where then you have a more immersive, detailed queue. You may. I mean, when you look at Rise of the Resistance, that's a perfect example, Mm -hmm. because the from the moment you enter the queue line is an experience Mm -hmm. till the time you exit the ride and you walk back into galaxy's edge is an experience that's not the same for val raven no right you know you you know what i mean Mm -hmm. so i think the virtual queuing is going to be a way of the future where and hear me out on this so you got all these people at cedar point for july 4th their busiest day you got all these people waiting in lines. What do you do? So you make virtual queuing. So you take that 240 minute or 120 minute. Oh, you're closer to the 240 on that day. Yeah. Wait for Val Raven. You put them in virtual queue. So what are they doing? Now they're out in the park. Now they're in other rides, smaller rides. Now they're in food sauce. Now they're in merchandise shops. But all those so, places are already packed as it is. Yeah, that's so but, there's no that, room. That, but that's people. the thing, is where they can they're gonna have monetize to, they, have they to, can monitor capacity. They're gonna because have to, I think capacity is gonna be diminished for quite some time. Oh, I agree. Regardless of this you know, what's going on. I think they're gonna be See, I disagree. Well, no, I, I agree with you okay. because in order for your idea to function, it has to be a reduced capacity because the midways can only absorb so many people. Because the, cal- the calculations of what can be on the midways are based on what can be sucked up by the lines. So if you're emptying out the lines a bit, you're going to have to have reduced capacity overall for right. that to balance out. So this is where you monitor the capacity that's in the parks because I think that's going to be a thing that's going to be in the thing for the next couple years at least a couple years and that dovetails into what i said i think parks have invested much more into capacity and crowd control because of this i also think and we got last year there was a rumor about halloween horror nights and i sent it to you and you're like i hate that idea Mm -hmm. but halloween horror nights had an idea where they monitor the capacity 
but they balance the capacity. So you, they have a set number of people that can come into the park, but then it's through the app and through the virtual queuing system, it is kind of sending you in a place where maybe it's not so congested. So they, they create an experience for you that's quote unquote customized and say, Hey, you did, let's take killer clowns from outer space. You did that. You might like this and they might send that to you because that's a lesser occupied area. Or they might say that now for enthusiasts, for park goers, we hate that because we want to, yeah, we know yeah, what to look for. Yeah, it's that level of micromanagement. For the GP and for the normal park goers that are coming in, it's, I've never been to Halloween Horror Nights. Mm. Oh, this app is great. It's telling me, hey, go here, go here. And I didn't have to wait for anything. Well, that's great because they, they changed the park capacity it, and they it, managed it. Right. In a way, to use another analogy, it's almost like the parks are treating the park like a big train depot, and you're going to have the apps and people managing it and making sure, okay, this train goes here, that train goes there, right. and everything exactly. gets controlled. So Now, you're going to have people that game the system. You're going to have people that don't abide by that system, and that's going to happen no matter what you have, but I think... Brian, and I think, but you're already a landlocked cruise director. But so, could that be a way of managing the bell curve? Well, so you're describing something that Universal actually already does. Yes, at Volcano Bay. Yes, is that part of the? the, Which makes me wonder why Disney is edging away from the Magic Band, right? It so. Disney doesn't have to do the Magic Band because they have the Magic Experience app. But to me, I but it made it made transactions fast and easy just by going boop. But boop. now you can go boop with your phone with NFC, and it's the same exact. It's RFID versus NFC. Yep. It's the exact same technology, pretty much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's kind of the same. But what I was saying about Volcano Bay. Okay, I can be quick. Um, what I what I was gonna say about Volcano Bay is when their queue lines get to a certain point, they shut it off, they make you use the tapu tapu band to reserve a time to come back. Then you can go enjoy the wave pole or the lazy river. But one of the things they found out real quick when the park was filled to a certain capacity, there was nowhere for the people to go. Everything had a long line. So they literally had to reduce the maximum amount of people allowed in the park. So I see parks. I'm sorry. I see a park like the Magic Kingdom. They're going to increase that capacity as fast as they can because it's going to mean more money. Now. Certain parks, uh, do I see this being worldwide? No. But certain parks, yeah. Now, the interesting thing is, we've all brought up that corporations 
and the people who run these parks are much better with crunching the numbers and figuring out traffic flow of their customers. And they've all found ways to still be profitable through all of this. True. Disney did their... their Most parks, the bigger ones. That's the ones I'm talking about. The Disney's, the Universal's. Disney had their investor release. Yes, they lost money, but the parks were still profitable. If they found a way to be profitable during this, I see going in the opposite direction. I see them limiting park availability and emissions, and they might go in the direction of making something like the Magic Kingdom a boutique park experience where not only are they sort of controlling your flow through the park like universal does with their app but it almost becomes concierge level because they limit the park to a point where they're still profitable they will always be profitable no matter what they do but then it becomes limit the attendance um increase the customer service and of course increase the price because they never reduce it. But I could see Disney toying with the idea of boutique park experiences. And it might not be all the time. You mean like on select nights, like events? Or it might, and if it goes well enough, they might just say, Magic Kingdom, that's a boutique level tier of ticketing. Or they might actually do that with Disneyland if it ever actually opens. And that would solve their... Their annual pass problem. Temporarily, they would do that. I can't say the permanent. Disney's all about cramming many people in there to make as much money as possible. But the thing is, they still found ways to be obscenely profitable. But they keep even increasing the... ticket prices to let... It, like, it's almost like it's segregating. Like, you need... Like, some people only go to Disney once in their life mm-hmm. because of the expense. And then you talk about... well. We're going to talk about it over the next five weeks, but you know, just the level of expense that it is at Disney, period. But again, they're finding that no matter how high they raise these prices, people are still coming. People are still coming in a global pandemic. It seems that no matter what Disney does, they can still charge whatever they want if you build it. Yeah. So that's it's, why that's yeah. why I get the inkling that they might experiment with a boutique concept like that, because they found well we have a limited, we've limited the amount of people that can come they into this park. They started to do that already though before the pandemic. They had those special nights that it was extremely and, limited, and they sold like. And mm-hmm. that's sort of my point. But now they have the math and the statistics behind it that show they can literally run the parks almost at a boutique level. And still make money. Yeah. I'm not saying I'm, I'm advocating for this, but I see it as a possibility. And I'm not a fan of the concept, but if they can make money doing it, it's a possibility. Yeah. I. Tim looks vaguely crestfallen considering this entire concept. No, I mean, I, see, I, I, can, I can see it. I don't. I, I can see it happening. I hate to think of that, but... And again, it might not be an all-the-time thing. It might be certain nights. They might actually make it seasonal. Could you imagine if they make the Christmas season a boutique experience? People still pay now 
See, I don't because they're going to want to have the numbers. They're going to want to have record-breaking numbers, which means more people required. They will still increase the costs, but they're not going to... But at the end of the day, the bean counters at Disney care more about the spreadsheet than the press. And that's a very depressing thought to end the podcast on. I know this. (laughs) Oh, no. We're not done. Yeah, we still got coaster we're, of the we're week. We're finna talk about the coaster of the I week. Meant, I meant, I meant this section. Of it's the a podcast. very swaying conversation. All, all I know is that I'm. And not... if you like swinging, you're gonna love our coaster of the week. The coaster of the week is the Iron Dragon. The Iron Dragon. Opened in 1987 at Cedar Point. Steel suspended coaster designed by Ron Toomer of Aerodynamics. 76 foot tall first lift, 40 miles per hour, 2,800 feet of track, two minute ride. Two lift hills, ending of the ride, twisted section over the lagoons, and with that awesome water mist effect when it actually works. Um, Here's the thing. When the ride first opened, it was a people-eating dragon. Two thousand, literally. literally. 2,000 people per hour, which is the same capacity as Magnum. It had 30-second dispatches. I mean, literally, you sat down. Before you got your bearings, you were leaving the station. The next train was coming in. It is one of the last remaining aero-suspended coasters in the United States right now. The other ones are at Kings Island and Six Flags Magic Mountain. The first drop does catch you off guard if you were not ready for it, especially in the back of the train. Yes. Um, To me, it is the ride to check out how long the line is for Top Thrill Dragster and Rougarou. (laughs) Yeah. Which... Chopper Dragster is pretty much going to be long. Rougarou, pretty good. Depending on the day. Short. Depending on the day. Halloween season, that still gets 45 minutes to an hour. What? Oh, yeah. What? On a Saturday Halloween season, it gets an hour and a half. Yeah. What? Yeah. Okay, so Chris and I, we are spoiled by May. Mm -hmm. Very much so. Going to be early june this year but it happens so what do you guys think about iron dragon now don't let everybody jump at once (laughs) well no it's one of those coasters it's i use the phrase a lot iconic to cedar point and where it's located there's just something about the silhouette and architecture of how it's built into the park I like the ride. I don't ride it much. It's a little difficult for me to get into the ride vehicle, but you know, it is still a great ride when I get it into me that I actually want to ride the thing. It's not a bad ride. I can say of my umpteen trips to Cedar Point, I've probably ridden it maybe three or four times. It's normally something that I say, yeah. But if it has a 10 minute wait, Okay, let's. But now that on. they only operate it with two trains, it almost always has more of a fifteen. Yeah, and it's, you know, it, it it's one of those things that I wish we could reinvent and 
kind of put a new spin on, but it, if it were to go, I wouldn't be completely upset. But the fact that it intertwines with Ruguru and you can oversee Dragster and, and it's it still kind out, of in the woods too. It, it is still kind of in the woods and then it goes over the lagoon and they do have mist that works 25 percent of the time and um, it also serves as a um place for a haunt in the haunt season as well yeah, yeah. the path that goes underneath it yeah but i think i mean it's photogenic and yes. that's the thing and if it did go away it wouldn't i don't know it's just it's very photogenic and I think that's one of the things that keeps the corkscrew in the midway too. Yeah. Those are two rides that they just look good in the park. I yeah. think they're both going to be gone in the next five years. And, I could agree. And I don't disagree. I although mean, I think they would leave a bit of the corkscrew. They will leave the corkscrew structure. Chilling yeah, in the midway. Yeah. I think we discussed this mm -hmm. last yeah, yeah, yeah. week. We did. We the did. week before. But. So... It leads us to the coaster term of the week, which is a suspended coaster. And a suspended coaster, basically the cars hang from the bottom of the rolling stock with a pivoting or hinge assembly that allows the car and the riders to swing from side to side as the train goes through the track. Now, because of the swing design, these coasters cannot invert riders. So... Um, there is a difference between like Raptor and Iron Dragon. Um, one can swing, one can't. Uh, manufacturers of the classic suspended coaster, everyone thinks of Arrow. Um, but Vacoma, um, Caribro, and Setpoint also designed these. Now, if you look at history, the first suspended coaster was built of wood in the early 1900s in California. It lasted a little, I think, 10 years, and that was it. But modern technology, we go to 1975, where for the annual Oktoberfest in Munich, Germany, a German aircraft manufacturer opened one of these called Alpenflung. It lasted 16 days. <laughs> it was scrapped because they looked and saw significant stress in the track because the curves weren't <laughs> banked. The wheel assemblies, you know, were on the bottom, and on these original suspended coasters, the tr the uh, brake fins were, you know, at the bottom of the trains instead of on the track. So it, it was just totally weird. They said, "Oh hell no!" So they said, from Flugen. Arrow comes along, and opens the first permanent modern suspended coaster at Kings Island called the Bat. It opened in nineteen eighty one, a great year. But the bat had lots of problems. It's kind of like they didn't hear from the German issues. Um, the problems were stress on the supports because of the unbanked track and stress on the wheels because of the brakes mounted to the bottom of the cars. The ride closed in 1983. It did not last long. But apparently, like from like people's reviews like that ride was insane. insane yes like that was an awesome ride so arrow refined it um 
by actually banking the track with the debut of the Big Bad Wolf at Busch Gardens, which is probably still to this day one of the most famous suspended roller coasters mm -hmm. out there. Um, sad it's not there anymore, but it lasted longer than most. <laughs> um, now, like I said, oh, and Arrow manufactured nine more suspended coasters after the Big Bad Wolf, including the Iron Dragon at Cedar Point that we talked about. Now, Vacoma manufactured three suspended coaster models called Swinging Turns, two of which are still open today. Now, these are not, people immediately think of, oh, they're the family coasters at Kings Island and Carowinds. No, those cars do not swing. They are family inverted coasters. Um, so I think it's, I never pronounce it right. If it's Carry Pro or Carry Pro, Carry Pro. But they're also in the Netherlands, like Vacoma. They manufactured 12 suspended roller coasters. And one of them used to be at Kings Island. It was like, you literally rode like in almost kind of like on the old Hoos Enterprises. Like it was two people back to back, like the log, like a log flume. Tandem. Yeah, tandem. Very low capacity. You know, but it was suspended coaster, so they have a couple of those. And then Setpoint, which is an American designer, manufactured um, four. So some of them still exist, which is cool, but it's still kind of a dying breed. These coasters haven't really been manufactured lately. Almost kind of forgotten about. Yeah. And that's why I said that's my take on a... Mm -hmm. 2021 version of it bring them back i mean it's something cool to it's a different version of a ride well it's not just a different version the actual physics are different the sensation of the ride mm -hmm. i mean people are like well what's the difference between uh you know suspended and inverted the, the physics and the forces that you feel on a sus suspended are completely different from an inverted oh yeah because you're on that pivot point you're it's like the pendulum of a of a grandfather clock and that and uh, yeah and that's the thing suspended swing yes. inverted are on a central heart line they that have to, to be whenever the track changes your heart line changes suspended you swing yeah you swing so it turns to the left you swing out to the left if it's an inverted and it goes to the left you go to the left and because of that each ride can be a little different because it's all based on the weight of the train and it's Correct. very different front to back of the train yeah. one of the coolest moments is when you would pull into the brakes if you were in the front of the train you literally would swing back mm -hmm. and forth as the train goes to a stop um specifically on the bat at king's island when that thing that's a different breed new bat or old bat the new bat which is an interesting point um, so Kings Island was the first successful, if you want to call it, suspended coaster with the bat, opened in 1981. Well, they built Top Gun, as it was called, in 1993. It was the last aero-built suspended coaster. So literally, Kings Island had the very first and the very last. So then when the park was bought, they changed the name to Flight Deck, which is like the lamest name ever. Um, but then they painted the ride and called it the bat again is tribute to the original bat 
I just think it's kind of funny that the bat and the bat were the first and the last King's Island. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it about wraps it up for podcast number 10. Coming wanna, up. Wanna Disney come. month. Woo! Disney month. Woo! Put your mouse ears on. Everybody put mouse ears on. Next or your week. goofy hat. Something. I don't know. Chris, do you have a goofy hat? No, I, I actually have. I got one for you. <gasps> no, in storage, believe it or not, I actually have my, like, toddler Mickey ears. They still fit? It would be like a yarmulke, so no. <laughs> <laughs> so, thank you definitely for listening, if you made it this far. Um, thank you, everybody new that's come. Definitely check us out. For the next couple weeks, we're going to be talking about Disney. Um, you can check us out on our website, zerogadventures.com, Facebook slash zerogadventures, Twitter at zerogadventures, and Instagram zero underscore g underscore adventures. And uh, keep it locked. Cause here we come. All right, right on. <laughs>